So generally we have like uh, two readings, one from like the Bible and one from not the Bible. These are both from the Bible, first from John, second one from Matthew. Two accounts of the same thing. Uh, the details a little different in each. Uh, each witness, as it were, is uh, giving a slightly different interpretation of what they might have seen, as we know to be the case in, in the idea of witness in general or witness testimony. Keep that in mind for a minute. I want to ask uh, as a general question, this is not rhetorical, I want to hear answers. What is the craziest thing you've ever seen in your life with your own eyes that you can share publicly? Um, in your life? Anybody? Turtle races in LA. <laughs> you said turtle races? Turtle races, yeah. They have those in, in Andersonville, actually, yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna do this while I wait. <laughs> Did it hit you? No. Mm. No, that would be a different story. <laughs> I, was, I was hit by a man with cover. I'm sorry. <laughs> the other day I saw two cops on bicycles pull over a car. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. Any other ones? I know this is like a kind of a hard question. <laughs> nothing that nothing that crazy, really. Someone's got to have seen like childbirth. <laughs> yeah, that's too crazy for me. Um, for some reason, when I thought about this question, the first thing that came into my mind was witnessing this like twenty-person brawl in Wicker Park at Six Corners. At the uh, now defunct Empire Liquors, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not there anymore, but I was there at one night. It was like one, two in the morning, and like 20 dudes came pouring out of this kind of club bar and just started bam. And I, this is like a weird, it's not a good thing, but I'm fascinated by violence. So I, I like ran towards it and was like watching very intently. That's the first thing that came to mind for some reason. Um, I've also seen, you know, crazy spirit Pentecostal things. There was a woman, I remember, who had this like cyst or something on her hand. And this like dude was like, let's pray. And they just kept praying. And it, you, it actually like shrank, which was weird to think about now. But it happened that way as I saw it. Uh, I've seen you know, people like do all sorts of convulsions and that sort of thing. Oh. I'm so glad I put numbers on the pages today. It's Okay, so uh, I asked some friends of mine this question. One said, who works in a hospital, he described an infected wound of a patient for me. The other, he talked about being by his grandfather's bedside as um, he drew his last breath, which if you think about it is, I've never seen anybody like actually go from living to dying before and that Seeing that, especially for someone you love, uh, I'm sure is, is quite the crazy experience. But as crazy as all these stories that come to mind might be, um, they make sense to us, I think, right? They sort of belong in the way of the world, the way that we see the world. 
even the ecstatic kind of Pentecostal weird spirit ones I'm talking about, uh, whatever the explanation for how that happens might be for you, we all know that this kind of thing takes place in the world. We've kind of seen it or seen videos of it. Um, and I know from per personal experience that uh, not everyone's faking it. Something is going on there, even though we may not really be able to say what it is. It still makes sense sort of in the picture of the world for us. But when it comes to resurrection, uh, that there's this tomb that lays empty, that there's a body that was in there and got up and walked out on its own uh, accord. I think if anybody here had said they had claimed to witness that in my question in the beginning, uh, we would think that they were tricked somehow, like some David Blaine type of thing, or they must be on drugs, um, took a nice tablet of uh, stuff, and, uh, or maybe you, you would think that you're a subject of like a prank. I was going to say punked, but it, that's that's dated. You were pranked on a TV show or something. Um, the dead coming back to life, you know, it's weird because our culture has had this kind of weird obsession with zombies recently. Thank God, it's, I think it's over at this point. Um, but still, the idea of the dead rising, it just doesn't fit into our picture of the world. No witness that I could ever meet could be trustworthy enough that I would, even if they like ran up to me and pleaded with me, Tim, you know me, man. I wouldn't lie to you. I promise. I saw this thing. I checked it out. I touched the body, all that stuff. It was real. Um, I could really only have a response of denial, a response that says, I have to go see it for myself. There's something strange happening to the idea of, of truth of trust and witness um, and proof, what counts as proof in our current times and our current climate, as you all have undoubtedly been bombarded with uh, story and article and think piece and tweet after tweet about this phenomenon, fake news, alternative facts, uh, Oxford Dictionary's 2016 International Word of the Year. Anybody know? All right. Post-truth. Post-truth. The Washington Post writes, the dictionary defines post-truth as relating to uh, or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In this case, post-prefix doesn't mean after so much as it implies an atmosphere in which a notion like truth is irrelevant. The, the, the notion, the idea of witness and testimony are so crucial to uh, Christian thought and Christianity as a lived thing. Two years ago, Neil, in his Sunday sermon, I don't remember this, I went back and listened to it. Uh, he talked about when we reach the limits of what we know, we must look to testimony. And we here at this church at Root and Branch, you know, we often describe religion as more of a story uh, told by witnesses in the form of testimonies. Power for us lives in narrative, not in the specific doctrines or creeds. Uh, we all have a story to tell. But you, what use are these things in a post-truth world? What credibility does a witness have, be it a preacher or a reporter for the New York Times, in a time where truth is irrelevant to us? 
what can we even trust anymore? Right? Every fact that comes across my Twitter feed or every YouTube video I watch, I have to scroll down to the comments and see if anybody has debunked this thing, shown it to be a false thing. Um, we encounter all things with the possibility that we might be being duped at that moment. There's a fancy, often used academic term called the hermeneutics of suspicion. Uh, coined by the philosopher Paul Ricoeur. And hermeneutics is just a fancy word for how we interpret things, more text specifically. Um, and taken together with suspicion or hermeneutics of suspicion, interpretation of suspicion, it means that we, are, we interpret and look through a lens that seeks to kind of draw out of something what's not being said or what's being hidden or disguised or presupposed so that we can kind of negate what that person is saying. We're suspicious of it. I think that is, in a lot of ways, a, a good critical way of looking at things. But today, we're not even living in a hermeneutics of suspicion. We're living in a hermeneutics of denial. If I can sort of be uh, prophetic, whatever that might mean to you in a second, for a second, I would proclaim that Human beings have never really been good at accepting objective facts um, over emotion and personal belief. That all this like fear mongering about, oh my God, what's happening to our culture? Like there is truth there, but it also speaks deeply to something that is ever present within us that we need to acknowledge for ourselves, even all of us who don't believe in fake news or alternative facts. There's a lot of headlines I've seen recently about. Uh, how hard it is for us to change our minds about things. This is the headline from a, a Vox article. A new brain study sheds light on why it can be so hard to change someone's beliefs. And a quote from that article reads, psychologists have been circling around the possible reason political beliefs are so stubborn. Partisan identities get tied up in our personal identities, which would mean that an attack on our strongly held beliefs is an attack on the self. And the brain is built to protect the self. Protect the self, right? Again, what seems to belong in our world, what fits, has a lot to do with safety and security. Let's go back to the text in Matthew. Then they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they told all this to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. These words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter gets up and he runs to the tomb. He has to see for himself. These women, the first to see the risen Christ, they are witnesses. They testify to this. And by their testimony, Peter hears it and he responds. But again, he has to go and see it for himself. He has to go back into what is if you know the story, hostile territory, right? Where this area in which his mentor had just been brutally executed and which an area in which he was so fearful himself that a couple days earlier than that, he just denied knowing Christ because he was so scared. And to that, 
he goes again, he runs to see for himself. What kind of relationship to witness and testimony uh, does Peter demonstrate for us here? We know that though we do not always do well to deny our hermeneutics of denial, that living that way only gives us what we already know. It reveals only which is already there for us. It keeps us safe. What belongs in our world, what fits in it, will stay rigid, and over time it will grow calcified and harder, um, ever stronger against new witness, new testimony that comes to it. For the denier, Mary runs to tell this person that the tomb is empty, that Christ is risen, and the denier remains seated in the belief that death is the end. So, I've thought a lot about this, like, what do we need to do to get out of this denial thing, right? And it took me on this whole thing of like trying to solve all of our cultural problems, so I'm not gonna do that, because I couldn't, couldn't quite figure it out, but here's some ideas. I mean, you know, there's something called a hermeneutic of charity, right? The opposite of suspicion, which is to interpret openly, to give, uh, it's in a, in a philosophical definition, it's when you talk to somebody, you believe that they are a rational partner in speech, that they have uh, the capacity or are trying to speak in truth to you. Um, which basically means that when you meet somebody, you just think that they're, <laughs> why are you shaking your head? Uh, you are, have no charity in you. But uh, it means that you, you accept that you guys can communicate with one another. I think this is probably a necessary component for changing our current political situation. At the very least, we know it's better than just straight up denial. But again, resurrection, I feel, is so off the grid for us. To be charitable to it, in some ways, renders it meaningless. Or at the very least, makes it a nice story for us. What I think is demanded, what I see in Peter's response, which is actually not very charitable because Mary says this thing to him and he's not like, oh, I believe you, right? He still denies it. It's not a very charitable response. It's something more like a hermeneutic of witness. In a conversation I was having with some friends about this subject, uh, someone threw out kind of as a joke, hermeneutics of martyrdom, which sounds really scary. But martyrdom, someone pointed out, the Greek root for it, or the Greek word for it, is witness. Martyr just means witness in the Greek. To encounter things as a witness, to interpret things as a witness, is to judge what is worth forsaking safety and getting up and going to see. And by extension, our general definition of martyr, it is to judge what is worth dying for. To greet the testimony of resurrection as a witness is to make a judgment, a decision, to be resolute and bold enough to get up and go look at the tomb. To get up and go look. This is what faith is to me. Um, a philosopher, Kierkegaard, sorry. <laughs> he wrote that all faith is autopsy. All faith is autopsy. Autopsy is Greek root. Autos, self, optos, seen, right? 
Autopsy literally just means to see for oneself. All faith is autopsy. All faith is to be a witness. I think to restore the power of testimony for us in our context, one thing needs to be done, which is to never mistake testimony as faith itself. The words of another given to us can only push us so far. Faith can never be given, handed to us in a way. Um, if someone tells you, hey, the new Kendrick Lamar album is dope, you have to go listen for yourself. This is a terrible example, but you get what I'm saying. But because we trust the testimony of another, right? Because we trust the recommendation of a band, we go and listen, we go and see. The testimony of resurrection by Mary or Peter or the many who have confessed it over these years can never secure for us resurrection's truth. It can only push us to go and run so that we can see it ourselves. When when death and destruction, these forces we know are so prevalent in our world, we see them way too often these days. When these things are overcome, when they're negated by things like hope and love, by new life, right, we can make a claim that resurrection is there. I believe this, at least, and I believe that we encounter this reality all the time. There are so many ways, despite how hard it is sometimes for us to open our eyes and see it. But time and time again, my testimony is that life gives us more than we could have imagined and it shatters our expectations. But it's one thing to hear a testimony of such a thing and sort of swish it around in your head until it makes sense to you. And it is another thing altogether to go and see it for yourself. Sort of the reason, you know, I talked about story being important for our church. Generally in these talks and sermons we give, we try to like tell a nice story that will relate to all this intellectual crap to you. But today I've chosen not to do that. Part of that is I don't want to give a story in which this is resurrection for me, and then you hear it, and then you're able to kind of be like, okay, I can see how that fits and make resurrection make sense. Because you have to go and see it for yourself in a way. If we are to reject the hermeneutic of denial, and if growing our picture of the world, right, is to put ourselves, the very idea of ourself in danger, then witnesses is what we must become. I think resurrection defies our effort to have it any other way. For it will always escape, unless you see it for yourself, back into the ether of denial, of mistrust. If this seems like an inaccessible concept, an intangible ask, uh, remember one thing, which is that to get up and go, to see it for yourself is to have courage. It takes courage, right? Uh, if you will allow me to be cheesy as I finish here for a moment, 
hopefully years of being cynical and hateful <laughs> have engendered me this moment to do this. But I know this community to be full of courageous people. Right? I've heard your stories. It's one of the great privileges I have in this position to sit one-on-one -on -one over beer, over coffee, or wherever, and hear your stories right, of how you've been courageous in this world. I've heard your testimonies right, of, uh, of choosing to love, to speak up, to fight back, to go and have a kid, to carry on through uh, the most crazy loss that I could ever imagine, past rejection, to choose to be part of a community that is imperfect and messy and um, trying to learn what it is. Many of you have run here before as witnesses. You have been witnesses before. But I also know that from these stories I've heard, there is much more road ahead for us. And on this day, Easter, it's just my job to remind us that our ultimate dis destination is nothing short of the tomb. That's where we got to go. This is a depressing Easter sermon, by the way. Is this... <laughs> what would you have expected from me? <laughs> All right, so this is the message, everybody. Go and see. Run to the grave. Chase the testimony offered by the cloud of witnesses, by this community of witnesses. <clears throat> and when, if perhaps you get there and you see that the stone actually is rolled away and the inside sits empty and the linen wrappings, which I think is a funny detail, kind of perhaps folded neatly by the stone bed, whatever it may be. If you run there and you are able to see all that, then you can proclaim Christ is risen. And when you proclaim that, maybe you will hear back all those testimonies, all those witnesses who say to you, Christ is risen indeed. Amen.